0: What if Jesus is alive? (laughs) You're probably asking what kind of heresy is this? Of course Jesus is alive. We celebrated his resurrection just last month. But the reason I ask the question this way is to get us to thinking about how we would act if Jesus was standing right here. Would it be a difference in our lives? Well, I know it would in mine. And so I need a reminder of his presence continually. You know, you've heard the the question, what would Jesus do that you would ask yourselves before you do something? Well, if I stopped to ask myself that question, I would never do that stupid thing or say that stupid thing. The problem is I don't stop. And so I need a realization of his continual presence with me I need to think of him as actually being right here, standing beside me. Right there, sitting in the car beside me. I need to be constantly aware of his presence. And so that's what I wanna begin with this morning, is Jesus's presence. And one of the reasons I think we have a problem with it is it's a historical event. Christ lived, he died, he rose again, He ascended to heaven to be with his Father. And so we lose that sense of presence because we think of it as something that happened 2,000 years ago. But he is alive and he is here right now with us. His presence is here. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask for you to give us a real sense of your presence, and it might be something that is continually with us. Help us to remember to remind ourselves of your presence. You are here. You are with us. You are in us. We thank you for that. Make it real. Amen. Let's read our text, John 14, 15 through 24. Because I live, you also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not a scariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I tried to count the number of times Jesus says loves or some form of it, And also the number of times he says that he'll be with us or in us. And both came out to be seven times. Not that seven matters. But the fact that he said it that many times in ten verses. I think it kind of means it's important. Love is important. And the fact that he is in us is important. We need to. I'm sure he said it that many times because he wants us to remember it. He is in us. And. As I was looking at this, something occurred to me for the first time. We think of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and he promises the Holy Spirit there in uh, verses 16 and 17. And we know that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We also know that we've received Christ and he comes into us. But as you read verse 23... And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Father also indwells us. I'd never noticed that before. Interesting. Kind of slow, I guess. But we have the full Godhead inside of us. Now, when you think about it, that, that makes sense. Because they're one. So how could you know it be just part? Naturally, it's a whole. And uh, just as an aside, when I think of Jesus, I think God. And when I pray and I pray Lord, I never know who I'm really addressing, the Father or the Son or the Spirit, because they're all the Lord. Anyway, that's just me. So we are indwelt by Jesus, the Father and the Spirit. We need to keep that in our minds. Again, reading John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's a wonderful little allegory called My Heart, Christ's Home. If you've never read that, you ought to read it. It's free on the internet, and I've, got, I've printed it out, and I can give you a copy if you'd like. But it tells of a a man who receives Christ as his savior and invites Jesus into his heart. And they begin to have fellowship together and he begins to show Jesus around his heart and it's stylized as a home. And the first room that they go into is the study or the library. And the first time that they go in there, the man is instantly embarrassed because there's some books and magazines laying around that ought not to be there. And there's some images that are there that shouldn't be there. And so Jesus helps them and they clean that room up. And then the, the story goes on that they eventually move from room to room and of course changes need to be made in each room. And changes are made. And they continue on from like that for quite a while. And then one day, Jesus says, Have you noticed? It stinks in here. I think that the odor, this bad odor is coming from that little hall closet that you have that's locked that you've never let me see. I think it's coming from there. How about you get the key, open that up, and we'll clean that out and get rid of this smell. And the man answers, No. I don't, want, I don't want to open that closet. We keep that closet locked. And of course, what it contains is those things that he's hiding from, he thinks, from Jesus. Of course, Jesus knows what's in that closet. And then Jesus says, well, if you're not going to let me clean that out, I'm going to have to go out onto the porch because it just stinks too bad in here. And then the guy realizes, well, I can't have that. I can't have Jesus living out on the porch. And so he submits and allows Jesus into that closet so Jesus can clean it up. And the end of the story is is that he tells Jesus, how would you like to have full title deed to my heart? And of course Jesus says, yes, I'll do that. And so he signs over his heart to Jesus completely. My heart Christ's home. Well, that's just what he says here in verse 23. He wants to be our heart to be his home. And how can it be his home if we're withholding any part of our life from him? We need to surrender everything, totally, completely to him. Got behind in my slides. John 13:13. 13, 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, it's, you need to understand that's more than just a title. It's a true position, Lord. And I think that, again, we have a problem with that because we're Americans. We don't have lords. We're our own person. We, we run our life the way that we want. Um, Frank Sinatra I have did it my way well we need to understand what a Lord is Abraham understood what a Lord was because he was one when Lot was captured and taken prisoner and he determined that he would go rescue Lot he said to his servants grab a weapon and let's go he didn't ask him do you want to go because everybody would have said, no, I don't want to go. That's dangerous. He just said, you're going to go. And they went. And in uh, medieval times, those people understood what Lord was. A Lord owned a vast amount of property, and he had tenants living on that property, and they were basically slaves. They called them serfs. Those that were a little higher up were vassals but all of them were in submission to that lord he had authority of life and death over those people he told them what they would plant where they would plant it and how much of that crop was his and how much was left for them a the lord had has absolute authority control ownership have we submitted completely to jesus christ he is lord and there's no question about it. There's there's no, uh, if you will, argument. Uh, because he is God. He's got a right to say that. He is Lord. Well, I'm a little slow. When I was in my 20s, I didn't understand what it meant to have Christ as Lord. And, But yet... I wanted to please him, but in sin comes and I would confess it, pray about it, but I never felt close to him, and the reason was is because I didn't understand first John one nine, and our pastor preached, I think about four sermons on that one verse: If we confess our sins. He is faithful. Where is it? There we are. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, I was not hearing or, and I was missing that part about cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse me, to make me whole again, to restore me to a position of fellowship with him and that changed everything for me because now I can live in fellowship with Christ because I'm letting him do all the work (laughs) after I've sinned and realize it I just confess it and he cleanses me and I feel that cleansing because I believe his word and have trusted him in it And so that allows to have fellowship constantly with him. Because without that cleansing, there's a barrier. And we don't have that fellowship in our walk with him. And so, Jesus is alive. He's indwelling us. And our response to him should be obedience and submission to his lordship. I have another question what if the Bible is God's word well this is kind of the same thing get us to thinking about it of course we we'll all agree that the Bible is God's word but what if we really believed it how much more important would it be how much more careful would we be in reading it and studying it would we more would we be more diligent It took me a while to learn this one, too. You know, I always believed that it was his word. But it wasn't until I was about 30, well, in the mid-30s, and a pastor challenged us to read the Bible through in a year's time. I'd never done that. I'd probably read all of it, but I'd never had a pattern of reading it continually. And it used to what to call a one-year Bible, and it was, it was a great experience. You read through the whole Bible in one year, and you read Psalms and Proverbs twice. And each day you'd read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverbs. And it was great. I loved it. And I've continued to love it and have read it every year for the past 40 years. So to hold the Bible in high regard, and I have to confess that sometimes I wonder, am I making the Bible an idol? And And so I'm trying to be careful in that, don't want to do that, but I want to remember that it is God's word. And because it's God's word, it requires me then to know it, believe it, and obey it. Not try, won't try to prove it to you but 2 Timothy 3.16 all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, correction and for training in righteousness the main thing we need to get out of that is that it's profitable there's profit in his word it's profitable to us as individuals now it's also profitable for training In righteousness. And I think we need to understand that's not so much us training somebody else, it's us receiving training and being trained in righteousness, being trained in obedience, receiving that correction where we need it, receiving reproof when we need it. Reproof is kind of hard to take sometimes, but we have to have it. All scripture is given. Reproof, correction, training, righteousness. Well, that gets us to what I really want to talk about today. So, we know that Christ is in us. We know that the Bible is God's word, and we know that our response is to obey. Verse 15 of our passage in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, I only want to talk about one commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And only that last little phrase, your neighbor as yourself. So I'm keeping it here pretty simple for you, right? <laughs> Not so much. When this statement was made, a lawyer had come to Jesus and asked him, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus instead of answering his question asked him a question Well, what do you think the scriptures say? And the lawyer said this and Jesus answered back you're right, go do it. Well then he raises his hand just like we do when we read this verse. Well who's my neighbor? I want to know who my neighbor is. Let's narrow this down a little bit Jesus. Who's my neighbor? So Jesus then in a characteristic fashion tells a parable or a story, can't be a story about a man who was robbed and beaten up and left on the side of the road and three different individuals come by we call this the story of the good Samaritan and eventually that third man, the Samaritan comes by and has mercy on him and helps him and so the question is which one is his neighbor? Well, it was the guy that showed him mercy. And so, who's our neighbor? Basically, he's saying the person you're next to, the person you're around, the person you're near to. Well, who are we near to? Our closest neighbor is our spouse. and I determined that I would just talk to men but I'm going to say a little bit to ladies because that's safer just to talk to men because I'm not a woman (laughs) (laughs) but I think I've got a few things to say 46 years that's nothing tomorrow will be 52 And as I look out over you guys, the majority of you aren't even 50 yet. So, maybe I've got something to say. But I'm going to preface it so that I don't get in trouble when I get home. I'm still learning. I'm still practicing. I'm still working at this. I am not perfect. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. That's a pretty big thing right there. I'll come back to that. And for the women God was gracious to us. He didn't just say the neighbor is somebody near to you he said here's your neighbor husbands here's your neighbor your wife and he says to the wives here's your neighbor your husband this is actually an instruction to the older women so train the young women to love their husbands and children like I said I wasn't going to say anything to the women but then I observed this verse and it has something that we need to see So, train the young women to love their husbands and children. The fact that you can be trained to love implies that it's a skill that can be learned. And also, I want to say that love is not just an emotion, it's an action. Love is an action. And that's really what we're going to be talking about that love is an action. And it's actions that can be learned. And so older women, train these young women up in the way to love their husbands and their children. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There we go. Skill that can be learned. Christ died for us. That's pretty extreme. Now, probably you won't be called on to die for your wife, but you need to have love that would bring you to that point. And how do you love? What kind what what actions are love? Well this is pretty simple really. It's the exact same things you learned when you were a child. Don't hit. Husband should never hit his wife, should never even act like he's going to hit. Stop that arguing. Don't argue. And, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. These are the same things that your mother said to you when you were acting up. Don't hit. Stop arguing. Don't argue. Because when you're angry, you're going to say and do things that you don't want to do and say. Stop for a while until you can come together and discuss and talk about in a calm manner. Don't argue. Forgive, and not the kind of stuff that you did when you were a kid. Yeah, I'm sorry. You didn't mean it. Actually be able to look at the person and say, I'm sorry. I did this and I shouldn't have. Say it and mean it. And then the other part of that, of course, is to forgive and mean it. Be kind. Be helpful. Do your share of the chores, whatever they might be. Each household needs to decide those things and do it. Don't be negligent in doing your share. And I think probably the biggest one is respect. Respect respect. Never say bad things about your spouse to other people. And respect their ideas and actions before the children. Respect. Respect. I could go on, but I think you get the idea. Just do the things that your mother told you to do. now I'd like to talk about another neighbor the church I should have mentioned earlier I forgot so I'll say it now one of the things that's carried us through these 52 years is the fact that we started out right we both started with a love for Christ and his church that was key, that was foundational to the marriage. And that carries over into this the church being a neighbor. Now, you may not realize it, but I have loved you for 30 years. And now some of you are thinking, what do you mean 30 years? I'm not even 30 years old. Others are saying, you've known known us for less than a year. Or maybe about a year, depending on when it was. But I've loved you for 30 years. And it depends on perspective. You see, from the former gathering church perspective... Lentz Baptist merged with you but from Lentz Baptist perspective the gathering church merged with us now the truth of the matter is we both merged together but perspective wise you guys are latecomers (laughs) I've loved you for 30 years and how have I loved you I've been faithful. I've been faithful for 30 years. Just like for 52 years, I've been faithful in my marriage. And I'm not talking about sexual purity, I'm talking about being faithful. Because we made a commitment when we got married till death do us part. We meant it then, we mean it now. And I've been faithful to that commitment. Vivian and I loved the church. And every time we would move from one town to another, practically the first thing that we would do would be to find a church that we would become a member of. We got married in May, very end. In August, I finished my course of study in college and began signing up for the Air Force. In September, well, actually probably October, I don't remember, we were in Biloxi, Mississippi. We were going to be there for about a year. We joined the church, taught Sunday school. We were only there for nine months. A year later, then we moved to Tacoma, Washington joined the church, taught Sunday school we were only there for about a year then we moved to Altus, Oklahoma we got there on a Wednesday night we went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night we found the church we joined it did lots of stuff there Got out of the service, discharged, went to Redmond, joined the church. We were there for 15 years. Moved to Portland, joined the church. Been here for 30 years. Faithful. And so we loved in each of those churches. We loved and were loved. That was the greatest thing. Young kids didn't know nothing. Loved by some older people there in Biloxi, in Tacoma, in Altus, and Redmond, and here. Now, the question comes were all of those people lovable well the answer is yes and no well no obviously because not everybody is as lovable as me (laughs) (laughs) but no on the surface not everybody was lovable I mean, that wasn't your first response when you met them was, oh, I'm, I like you. Some were obstinate. Some were troublesome. Some were mean even. But the real answer is, yes, they were lovable. Because what's my definition of love? An action. I decided to Love therefore I loved and I say that I proved my love by the fact that I was faithful I stayed the course now you need to understand how we determined what church we were going to join first of all We didn't visit a church that we weren't not sure that we were doctrinally aligned with. In other words, if we we went we visited churches that we agreed with doctrinally, and we didn't. In making our decision, it wasn't the pastor, it wasn't the style of worship, it was the people. The church that we ultimately joined was the one that we felt at home in. And that happened right away. Usually, the first visit told us we feel at home here. And so, we didn't join a pastor, we didn't join a worship style, we joined a community of believers. and we loved them and we stayed by the stuff it was easy in Biloxi and Tacoma only there for a year Oklahoma was easy too Redmond not so easy I could tell you a real horror story and I won't but I could But it's a good thing we didn't join because of the pastor or because of the music, because while we were there, we had three pastors, three different styles of music. One was a rock and piano. One was violin music. Different. (laughs) Same thing here. Four pastors now, four different styles of music. And there were some hard times here, but we stayed by the stuff. We were faithful. We loved. We made a choice to love. And it was the same type of love that we used in the marriage. We did what our mother said. We are kind, thoughtful, friendly helpful and here's the thing we didn't do it ourselves Christ the Holy Spirit helped us we have tools the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit's indwelling giving us power Strengthening us. We have prayer. Prayer is really very important. Because if you're praying for somebody, no matter what it's about, they're sick, they need to be healed, they've just had surgery, they need to get well and recover, they need a job, whatever kind of help they need, they're struggling in their marriage. When you begin praying for them, you begin caring about them. Well, prayer is really important both for them and for you. But also to pray, I mean, you can pray the prayer. Lord, help me with this person. <laughs> prayer. And then Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And of course, the hymn there is Christ. I can love you because Christ strengthens me. And that's probably pretty key to let Christ love instead of me trying to love with my own power. Christ strengthens so that we can do all things, it says. 1 Corinthians thirteen, four through eight is has a similar idea in uh, I believe it was verse 6 maybe 7 love endures all things love endures all things now you might be enduring there were a couple of times I had to endure but Christ gave me the strength to do it I didn't do it on my own Love endures all things. That doesn't make it fun, I don't think, but it's possible. We can do it because of love. Love. My heart, Christ's home. So, the conclusion of all of this is the same thing I've been saying. Christ is alive and constantly with us. He's right here. And because he's right here, I'm going to react that way. And the Bible is God's word. I'm going to obey it. It's his word. God said it. How can I ignore it? And I'm going to try to do this one little commandment. Love my neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your indwelling that we might have power, that we might be able to love as you loved. In Jesus' name, amen.